0: The Game Schooler Podcast, a Proud Member of the Dice Tower Network, is a weekly audio show that educates new and experienced gamers about the awesomeness of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover Namalia, our game of the week. Discuss when should a game end in the school of gaming, and wrap it up with our high five games we would have loved as teenagers. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co host, the esteemed, always impeccably dressed, Dr. Michael McCain. What's happening, Doug? Episode 136
1: by you, my record. Is yeah, that accurate?
0: That sounds right. That's that sounds, awesome, sounds man. believable. Good to be back at headquarters. How are you? I can't complain. Things are really heating up as we get into the uh, official school business. Activities are starting to pick up after, oh, after school. We're, we're in that, Doug. Oh, it's insane. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's basically count down the week. Well, Monday's this, Tuesday's that, Wednesday's this, yeah. Thursday's that. I is now, this true that we don't have anything going on Friday night? It's a miracle.
1: Imagine if you had another life event going on right now as well, like a wedding or a baby or something. I, uh, a guy that I coach with is a teacher and he's getting married next week, and I'm just thinking his schedule. But he doesn't have kids, does he? Have kids? no, okay. no.
0: So. That that yeah. I can swap out a couple of kids for a wedding for plan. A wedding. <laughs> no, no, I mean, yeah. I'll take. It. I'm not going there. All right, uh, I'll, but- I'll
1: drive to dance and drive to. To climbing or basketball or soccer and hang out and read a book and read some rules while the kids are, are getting after whatever they're getting <laughs> after. I don't ever want to have to
0: plan a wedding again. Uh, I hope I don't have to either. <laughs> uh, How do we to get my lo- To I'll my lovely wife. You, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let me count the ways. Hey, I uh, have some follow-up,
1: though. Okay, give it to uh, me. You know, to our longtime listeners, it'll be very apparent that I do not chop On Amazon for board games. Yes. I'll get other things on Amazon, coffee filters and things like that, but very rarely. Stuff that can come in a crushable box. (laughs) Board games, because, and we talked about this in episode 50 to 75, almost every episode, I was getting games that were just smashed. Mm hmm and Hulk smashed. Now everyone knows that I rarely buy games on Amazon because as you brought to my attention right as we closed our episode last week, I was whining about John Claire's Ready, Set, Bet that I can't find this. It's not at any local game <laughs> Where could game I stores. ever get this game? This game is widely available for anyone who buys board games at Amazon all day for like $34. Yeah. So um, maybe to any of our listeners, if if you're wanting to trade or or drop the first one into that flea market thread on our Discord, throw some ready set bet out there so I can get it. I don't wanna give my money to Amazon for board game. No, but that was the one follow-up that I needed to clean up. Um I, I went back and I listened. I sounded sounded quite ridiculous on that segment. I don't claim to know all things. Uh, certainly not in the world of board gaming. So that was one thing to clean up from last week's segment where we talked about five games we wanted to get
0: into our collection. Yeah, well, thank you for for um, pointing that out and uh, apologizing to our dear listeners. Credibility um, is everything, <laughs> I Doug. I appreciate that. Um, in a follow-through, the video version of Penny Black has been posted to YouTube, so go check that out. Uh, subscribe there would be awesome if you enjoy that. Um, well, and if you really enjoy it, you probably want to open up two to three burner accounts and also subscribe <laughs> on there. We're, we got to bump that up. So yeah, let's get to work, folks. So yeah, so the pe- the, the video version of the Penny Blank Game of the Week segment is now on YouTube. So if you want to look at our ugly faces or my ugly face, uh, go over there and check that out. Anything else to follow up? Not or? in follow-up. I have two things and what's awesome with gaming, but All nothing right. to follow up on. All right. You tell me what's awesome in gaming. Man,
1: I'm going to go with this first one, and I brought a prop. So just hold the floor for one second.
0: Okay. Oh, he's reaching over. He's grabbing something off the stool. It's When covered in a... we
1: went to Gen Con, Uh-oh. there was – here's Please. what I got to tell you. I, I love when reality exceeds thought. Intention and planning. And for me, that is very rarely. But one thing that is awesome in this hobby is getting an idea about a game and thinking that game could fit with this person. And we've talked in the school of gaming before about how potential can really be harmful because it's like when my child is 17 years old, <laughs> we will do Pandemic Legacy season zero, one, two, back to back. Um, but when we went to Gen Con, there was one game that I tried to get. It's called Tiger and Dragon, and I couldn't get it. Oink Games, it was the publisher that brought it over. They sold through their allotment each day. Couldn't get it well. I got it in a trade, and I am so excited to share with our dear listeners. This, my, is, a, this is an audio
0: podcast. I know, <laughs> I know, but I wanted
1: to show you because my 7-year-old my and I played this all weekend long. And so Tiger and Dragon is just a little game with these Mahjong Tiles and you are attacking chubby mahjong yeah. tiles. So you are uh, there's even numbers and odd numbers, um, you know one through nine, and you are attacking. And if you can defend, you then get to lead the next attack. So I, I would say I attack Doug with a four on the top of the board, and then uh, below the board he'll say I will defend with a four, and I'm going to attack with a seven. And if I don't have a seven and I say pass, Doug then gets to bury one of his dominoes face down and start his next attack. So you're trying to shed your dominoes that you get. In a two-player game, each person gets 13 of them. In a three-player game, each person gets 11. The only exception rule is that the tiger uh, can block any even and the dragon can block any odd. And, man, I I saw this, and I thought about the battle nature, the back and forth, and and I thought, man, I think my 7-year-old liked this. And I can remember saying it at Gen Con, and Doug's kind of making fun of me on the side, like, we're going home with how many games? We're okay, we're okay. But when I got this in the trade and got it to the table, we had a blast. We played all Saturday morning, just back to back to back to back to back. Uh, Game stayed out on our table. We brought in Mom, played against Mom on Sunday night, and then you could see Mom kind of got the hang of it. It's one of those that... I'd heard about this game on other podcasts and people who play games that get them imported. And I thought, well, if we can pick it up at Gen Con, we'll pick it up. And couldn't pick it up. They were sold out. But um, that that was awesome. When you see a game that's easy to teach, that does what you think it's going to do, and then exceeds expectations. We play so many games. Very rarely do games exceed expectations expectations, you know, and, and this one really did. So it was a lot of fun. And I just wanted, I'm really talking to an audience of one. I wanted to share that with you that Liza well, and, and I it's had a, a ton of fun It's a good playing. thing
0: you didn't pick it up at Gen Con because you wouldn't have gotten that version.
1: No, you're right. I got the Japanese version, which is, is nice and a little bit bigger box. Um, so Archlight was the first company that made it in Japan and then Oink Games has, uh, brought it into North America. If you can get a copy of it. Um, Cool, cool little game. And there there are a lot of them out there in trade because it, it's been out and around since 2021, all the way back
0: then. Um, so that was a ton of fun. Awesome. That is awesome. I, I've been having my own battles with, with my eldest child. Is it's like the only gaming that we've been able to get in is playing the starter decks for Lorcana. That's awesome. And we've been playing that back and forth. Um and it just really fascinating to have a a trading card game that is approachable to she's 11, going to be 12, uh, approachable to that age range and really uncovering the strategy as it goes. And that that starter deck kind of philosophy is right up her alley of of not having to do any deck building, not having to do anything extra, but just play and learn the cards that are in the deck. I even asked her last night, I go... Do you want to change, like try a different one of the other starter decks? And she's like, "No, I like learn. Like I have this down." She's like uncomfortable moving over to another one. I'm like, "I'd kind of like to play, <laughs> play that <laughs> one," um, but we've been having a blast with that. That's um, awesome. And when I got into the headquarters tonight, she reported that she beat you last night twice. Is that, yeah, is we that went, uh, Can... we split two games to two wow. games. <laughs> so we got we we knocked four out. Well, there, wins er- game five. The rubber match? Yeah. I don't know. Um, all right. I'll do she's, play by play for it if you want. She's pushing for it. <laughs> oh, that's so great. that's that's also a good thing where it's can we can we get a game in? You know, that yeah. that type of thing. Um another game I want to talk about we played last week is Archaeus or Archaeos Society. I'm not sure exactly how they want you One to One of put, those two is accurate <laughs> to pronounce that. I'm gonna say Archaeus because I like and I'll say Archaeos just to be different. Sure, there you go. Um, this is a game that is essentially a re print re-theme of an older game called Ethnos by Paolo Mori. And it is a great push-your-luck set collection game in which you are collecting different suits of cards, and then eventually you need to play them out of your hand kind of into an expedition. Um, But you need to either have all of the same symbol or all of the same color. And those are the two types of sets that you can play down. The tricky part is that Every card that's not in the expedition that you use to to make the expedition, those cards go discarded face up for everybody else to scrounge. Which uh, is so much fun. It, yeah, you're just waiting. There's this this weight of of I, I dare you game a chicken basically yeah. of. Oh, Michael, lay down your expedition so I can keep this mind going. In a three-player game, you have a hand limit of ten. So the any more, any
1: game. Oh, in any in, game. Any okay. Game, yeah. Well, more than once at the table, Doug would throw over me. <laughs> How many cards do you have? I have seven, and I'm thinking you have eight, or do you have nine? I
0: also have seven. It's like oh, so yeah. one of them <laughs> yeah. Somebody's going to go out, and then and then you have to. There are moments where the the central draw pile is completely empty. And so then you're just blind drawing off of the, the top, and every once in a while it works, yeah. and a lot of times it doesn't, and you're like, oh, that's just a card I'm going to have to give up later. And it's just a really cool uh, game. I enjoyed Ethnos. It was in my collection for a very long time. Uh, it was one that when this new version came out and the theme was archaeology and going on expeditions as opposed to fantasy orcs and warriors fighting over land— uh, I knew it was probably going to be a for-sure pickup and move the other one out just based on a, a theme and, and playability type of approach. And um, I'm not a huge fan of area control games, and so this kind of made it moving up tracks instead of area control, which I, I enjoy. Yeah, my takeaway, it was different enough
1: from Ethnos where I can see where somebody, mm. anybody, myself, you could justify having both in, in a collection because... Although it's set collection, the one of area control and, and then the other of scoring on multiple tracks, um, it was different enough where it, to me, it did feel like two different games. And maybe because I hadn't played Ethnos in, in a year and a half to two yeah. years, and it, so much time had gone by, um, I enjoyed what I was doing in, in, in Arceus. Ar- say it again. Archaeus or Archaeos Society? Yeah, I enjoyed what I was doing in the game that we played last week. <laughs> the um, game of that title. But one that I want to play more of. I, yeah. I hope that we can play it two or three more times, and uh, I think that will be uh, one that we talk more about later. Yeah,
0: on. and I can see the argument for for both sides of that. There's some people that I've heard that say that they don't like the new one as much. There's some that say that the the thematic ties of, of the way the, the expedition leaders work make more sense— In the the fantasy world, and just kind of easier, like where the Giants have an ability that closely matches, and the other one is a little bit more of a stretch, really doesn't make that much sense necessarily. So I can definitely see somebody wanting both of those. Now, whether somebody would get those both to the table— That's a whole different question. Is a whole different thing. Three-player
1: minimum or no? Am I making that Mm, up? You're probably making that up. Okay. Okay. For, the, for some reason, there was always some barrier that prevented me from getting Ethnos to the table at hmm. home. Um, but it could just be John Howe's art. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm a fan of it, but yeah. m- maybe that's not if the most... If you love Lord of the Rings art... Now, on the flip side, a card game where you're moving up tracks where the art does have an appealing theme for my family and the game's rather themeless, the great split yeah. continues to get played in our house. Yeah, We brought uh, our oldest daughter, sat down at the table and played... Uh, I don't want to say that we forced her to play a game, but it was one where my we wife said, We forced her to play uh, the game. Put <laughs> the headphones down, unplug, come over here and sit and pl- we're going to play this. And I was proud of my wife for uh, initiating that, and we had a great time. Yeah. Um, so The Great Split is another game where, um, you know, you're, you're we've talked about it a little bit on off the last few episodes, and I think we're going to talk about it coming up here in the next four or five weeks. Um, but where you are choosing which cards you're going to keep and sending an envelope to a person on your left or your right, and then you're receiving an envelope. You're going to keep some of the cards that they sent you, and then you're going to send the envelope back. And you're moving up on all these different tracks. There's a midpoint scoring in the game that I think is so fun um, that you're not just waiting until the end, and then at the end, everything just fits together, or it's a big fail. And, And again, 40 minutes set up, teach, putting it away, um, fast game that, that's very approachable and,
0: and, and one that we continue to have a lot of fun playing. Awesome. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up and kind of move on here? All right. Well, I want to remind everybody to, to sign up for the Discord server. Uh, you can do that by going to gameschooler.com Discord. Uh, Discord is kind of the, a cross between a forum and a, a group text. Um, and it's a great little community that we've got going there. Um, well, and the community's running it. I yeah. mean, if
1: I had two or three busy days, you know, just busy. You were talking about the top end of the segment. And next thing I know, there was like 13 notifications. I was like, oh, that's great. New people have joined. Introductions are being made. Questions are being asked. People are talking about an upcoming convention. Is anyone going? So yeah, really cool community uh, yeah. over yeah. there sharing bad news about Hobbit possibly going out of business. It almost made me cry and throw my phone. What's going on? <laughs> so no, it's mostly all
0: good. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> we can we can all shed tears there together uh, on our Discord server, gameschooler.com slash Discord a uh, reminder to spread the word about the podcast if you like what we're doing. We're always looking to bring new people into the family, and we would appreciate you sharing what we do here. Um, and if you have any questions or comments you want to reach out to us, email us at email at gameschooler.com. Again, email at gameschooler.com. And a reminder that Discord also a great place for questions if you're having questions about game schooling or what game to get next or Just want to share the excitement of what's awesome in the hobby for you. Uh, The Discord is a great place to do that as well. So, with that out of the way, let's move on to the Game of the Week.
1: The Game of the Week! The Game of the Week is an in-depth look at a family-friendly game we think you should try if you get the
0: chance. This week's game is Namalia. Doug, give us the stats. All right. Published in 2023 by La Boite de Joux and Lucky Duck Games. The designer is William Levien, and the art is by Pauline Detraz. Two to four players, 25 to 30 minutes. Ages 10 plus. Board Game Geek says eight plus. I'll split the difference at nine. Uh, and this is going to be a family game for us, something that you can... Yep. Sit down and, and play with the whole family, gamers and non-gamers alike. The goal of Nimalia is to design the best animal sanctuary while playing over five rounds. Each round, players will draw three cards, place one, and pass the rest. And you're going to do that until you've placed all three cards. Each card is composed of four biomes, each containing an animal, And when you place a card, you must cover at least one biome. So you need to cover at least one of the previously placed biomes that you've had, or so basically at least one square out of the the quadrant on the card. Um, The whole sanctuary must not exceed a 6 by 6 grid. Uh, And each game will have a different pool of scoring objectives. Each round will only count some of the objectives chosen for the game. So you'll have to modify your sanctuary throughout the game in order to score the most points. And at the end of the five rounds, the player who earned the most points becomes the winner. So one of the trickiest parts about this game is that there are five different scoring cards, except you're only going to score a couple of them each round. So in the first round, you're going to score scoring card one and two. In the second round, you're going to score scoring card uh, two and five. Uh, in the third round, you're going to score three—I ah, could be screwing this up. Um... Well, it's, it's
1: not an easy thing to, to just unpack. Yeah, if anyone it's... has played cartographers or other games where you're going to score some of the objectives
0: in multiple rounds, yeah. that's what's happening in Namalia, right? It okay. might be—go ahead, Doug. So, yeah, and so in round one, you're going to be scoring the, the blue and green objective— Round two, you're going to be scoring the green and yellow. Three is going to be red and blue. Four is going to be back to green again, along with yellow and red. And then five is going to be blue, red, and yellow. So you're getting that different mixture that pops up in uh, Isle of Sky is another game that does that. So Isle of Sky is the first one that I was aware of. And then, yeah, went to cartographers where... At a certain point, you are no longer going to be scoring that objective anymore. Right. Uh, but it will pop up again. So let's just talk briefly about what some of those objectives are. I think that will give our listeners a
1: really good uh, flavor. So sure. So maybe one of them is most pandas,
0: right? Isn't that that an objective? Yeah. So, uh, for example, here's a two, two per polar bear that is part of a group of bears. And you get minus, minus one for every solitary polar bear. Um Let's see. The player with the fewest lions gets uh, three points, while everyone else gets n- minus two points. So you're trying to collect those there. Uh, the player with the most gorillas gets five, and the player with the least, with the most pandas, gets negative five. Yeah. So different scoring combinations. There's some. The player with the longest river. So you can be connecting rivers. Uh, some of the blue scoring ones are based on the different biome type or terrain type. So. Uh, you could get three three point per row of your reserve that contains all four terrain types. There is uh, snow, jungle, desert, and um, water. Uh, so there's different things like that, and, and there are one, two, three, four, looks like five different possibilities for each color of and he, scoring. He, and
1: here's the interesting thing about the game. When you're drafting and passing, What's different from Namalia to other, you know, I I pick a card and I pass the hand. You only have three choices. Yeah, it moves so quickly, and in those three choices, as your six by not up as you're up to six by six, uh, animal village city. What's it called? Sanctuary. It? Sanctuary. Grid. Thank you. Sanctuary grid begins to build out. <laughs> Some of the decisions are, well, I'm going for longest stretch of water, but if I do that. I'm going to cover up a lion. So it's is the two points better than the three points. And you can see some of that tension build. And that's where the eight plus, yes, an eight-year-old can sit down. A lot of eight-year-olds, a seven-year-old can sit down and play this. The rules are very easy. But when you get into that tension about understanding what's going to score out this round compared to the next round and the impact of what I'm going to do, yeah, that's where it's really more of that 9, 10, 11-year-old being able to play
0: the game and those repeated plays come in. And I think that's where the fun is, yeah. where it becomes that situation of like, ooh, this is a great card for next round. Can I use it to where build up? Where can I up? hide this? Can I do use it. it to build up for yeah. next round without hurting me too bad? This round. So it's almost like you always need to be thinking forward and then thinking backwards. There's almost this part of like, I'm building up to this one. So I want to score here, but we're going to come back to it later. But once I score it the second time, how fast can I disassemble it and start scoring something else in a different. So it's really fascinating how you can totally transform what you've done from one round to the next based on where you put that card out. Well, in, in
1: in a three player game, when I play cards and I pass to the left, and let's say that that you then pass me cards, I'm not going to see those again. The cards yeah. that I get, I ha, I ha, that that choice that there is a level of tension there that's not in in other drafting games where you that might be a little bit more forgiving or where there's just more latitude because I know I'm going to get to see those cards again. No, it, these are the three. What's my best option? Go. And I think that ability to prioritize and then execute really keeps the game moving. The other thing that's been interesting for for me and my handful of plays, I've had really good games and I've had really (laughs) bad games. and, And that could just be the gamer, but I think there's that chance for the game to swing. In a way that's fun in a 20-minute game, whereas yeah. in a two-hour game, it might not be fun and it might not get recommended. Yeah. But Namalia just works with the the, the scoring
0: and, and the rounds and, and how um, it, it's all set up and put away in
1: 20 minutes.
0: Yeah. So unless you're playing with two people, you will never see a card out of your initial selection, which sometimes is awesome when it's like like if alligators are negative points and I see two other cards in my hand that are have alligators, I'm like, "Eh, glad I don't have to pick from those, you know? So there is a fun level to that. I think to your point, the, the simplicity of a draft of I've, I'm only picking from three is manageable and playing it down the, the there's not a bunch of downtime. It moves. Um, I love pivoting based on the scoring there are a lot of scoring setups that change the game. Um, and and then there's there's that that like mitigation of if alligators are bad, and then I get another one, It's like, is there a way I can play this card on, even though I'm getting a new alligator, can I cover up the old alligator? Yeah, in a way that works. So I'm not multiplying the the negative points and things like that. So it just got a real nice flow to the game. And has no, even even with my eldest daughter, when we've pulled out something like Sushi Go, and there's that explanation of like, oh, this is how everything scores, and this is, and it's like, well, you've got to collect three of these before you can get a set, and trying to, well, no, we keep those f- until the end of the game. Those will score. Like, there's yeah. a, there's that mitt full of ha- cards that they get, and you almost have to explain every one to them, and this one is like so simple to just say, yeah, you don't want pandas this round. Like, we're scoring negative points for pandas, collect giraffes, and it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, they don't have to necessarily go for the long five-round scoring structure. You can go round by round and say, all right, now you need to do this, now you need to do that, and there's no confusion on the cards that they're getting of like, well, how do these cards work together? And I appreciate that about this game. That, that you don't have to explain how all the combos work, right? The yeah. cards are so self-explanatory. Explanatory. I think
1: that's really good if you're playing with kids and with younger gamers. The The only thing that I will push back on, and I think this is very much me, so I don't want to make a generalization for the game, but you and I played this with our other gamer friend, and I actually found myself a little bored Mm. And I think it was just because we were mathing out this game. We were we were playing a draft with three cards, and I knew I was going to lose the math battle. And I I I not that a lot of people are going to play Nimalia with their quote unquote game group. Yeah, but that is something to keep in mind that if you are just playing it with adults, I think it loses some of of the the flavor that when when I played this game, like we we played it with your oldest daughter, it it was a blast. I mean, yeah. she was talking. Nonstop about what was go, like it was painful every time she had to cover something up, right? And you you lose some of that when you're playing with adult gamers that that log a thousand sessions a year. But does
0: that come down to not taking the game for what it is? Oh, I do. Oh, I think there's a lot
1: of that in there. What I'm I personally think this game is best at, at playing with with younger gamers or with people that are not just going to try to min-max the heck out of it. Yeah, well that, that, and, yeah, that, that's I,
0: what I'm that's what I'm that's yeah, my and I th- only note that I had coming yeah, in. Here and I of, think that of, I think that goes into the idea of like if you're like hardcore gamers are going to be upset that you're never going to see the cards again. Yes. Like some of those type of things. And to me that just falls under the it's great for people to be aware of that, that this is not a heavy, thinky hardcore I'm going to buckle down and have a serious strategy. This is a a filler game intended to be done in 20 minutes and have fun while you're playing it, right? That also
1: has a lot of skill development potential, very yeah. very high level replayability. You know, I've talked in the past about indoor recess games or after school program games, and this is a game that I can see, you know, teachers playing at lunch, yeah. in, in a lunch group because of the the variable scoring and some of those other um uh,
0: objectives within the game and how the game plays out. Yeah. I think one of the the cool skills that this game has is is the the idea of goals. Yeah. And a game in which players have clearly defined victory conditions that they must work towards and the way that that can go from all right, here's the 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 goal or the victory condition for this round. This is how you're going to score the most points for this round. And to start with that that you have 5 of those rounds coupled with the fact that you're going to repeat some of them, or they're all going to be repeated at least once, and then to see that grow into the that, that next level of strategic thinking of, okay, how can I plan ahead for the next scoring round that we're not in yet? And so to be able to start simple with, here's the scoring for one round, and then to see your kids and, and players progress to then start to piece together that yeah. idea of like, Oh, I can start working towards that even though we're not scoring that right now. You put that under what? Goals. Goals. Okay, because I have almost the exact
1: same thing coupled with process information and problem solving. Mm. And process information is a game in which players must examine or analyze information. And it's not just thinking a turn ahead because the turns are so fast and I don't know what's actually coming. I need to be able to think around ahead. And then that problem solving, this is where I've made mistakes in the game. It's in... Well, I I cannot cover up the river space, or I cannot cover up this panda, but then I accidentally do because I forget about it as the game goes. <laughs> so being able to um, process information and problem solve uh, on the fly, but also keep in mind some of those goals that are going to be coming up in the next round. That's a fun little tense puzzle. There's other games that we've played that I think try to accomplish that. Metro X is one that comes to mind. Mm. Where it just to me it feels like sometimes the trap that I've fallen into it can feel too much like work. It can feel yeah. too much like a spreadsheet. Well, and Amalia doesn't have that. And Amalia has a fun way of solving those puzzles. Yeah. Uh, I think it does for me.
0: Yeah, it's it's more open. Uh, where some of those games become very restrictive. Yes. And then it feels like you're being punished for making a choice earlier in the game and like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. And there's no way around it. This one, Um, you can just layer up cards over it. Yeah, and it it just works in that regard. You don't need to get bogged down too much of... uh, At at some point, it's going to occur to you very quickly that it's like, yeah, I'm going to get some cards that I don't want. How do I deal with them? Yeah. Which I think is another great... Um, skill and learning tool of, you know, potentially, I, I don't have this on my list, but the idea of resilience of, well, I got handed alligators that are minus two points at the end of this round. How can I make the best of this situation? And I like that, that sort of problem-solving and, and decision-making that's happening um, in this game. And, of course, there's spatial perception, a game that strengthens a player's understanding, of the spatial relationships with the objects in their environment and themselves. And that's where um, it comes in. Sometimes you get points for having like pandas on the outer edge and, you know, being mindful of that six by six grid and how can I fit them and maximize. And there's always balancing of the different types of goals. You know, some of them are collecting things. Some of them are positional goals. So balancing those out are, are, are pretty cool too. Anything
1: else? Where do you think it fits best? I haven't heard you comment on that. We've talked
0: around a lot of it, but where is there a good fit, better fit, best fit? To me, this fits best. I can see this coming out as an after dinner family game with, you know, starting at that nine. You know, you got a family with a, a nine to an 18 year old. Yeah. and you're going to have a dinner and play a 20-minute game after and just have fun without too much thinking or setup, Like that's where this game fits for me. Yeah, and I would say don't be fooled by the
1: animal art. I, I This is a game that teenagers will play if you can get them through that first round, especially if they have experience with Sushi Go. Um, the other really nice fit for me. It, there's a lot of game in the box. This is something that I don't own a fanny pack that I'm aware of, <laughs> but it, it, I would throw this in my backpack, right? And, and it's, uh, what is this, like a four-inch by four-inch yeah. b- yeah. box? Yeah, that's five, a, five,
0: or five, five by five, by Five problem. by five,
1: that's a, an inch tall. So it yeah. fits in a purse, fits in a backpack, and, the, and can go score, on the road.
0: Yeah, the score um, tracker is uh, four cards laid out yep. that you use. So- Everything is card based in there. It's a couple of tokens, uh, player tokens and the rest are cards. yeah so uh, square cards.
1: card trip and airplane. If space is tight, this is one that you can bring along with. so And I
0: want to rewind because Michael did say a word that I don't think has ever been brought up on that pod, this podcast before. And when he said it, it was almost like I almost it was as if he had said a swear, you said the board word. You said that you were almost bored playing the game. <laughs> <laughs> which, <laughs> Whoa, you're going back four minutes. It's just so in. But I, I want to reiterate because I don't, you know, obviously, if we think a game is bored, we're not we're boring. Oh, yeah, we, would, no. we would never recommend it. Um, and that was more on playing with gamers that were probably overthinking it. Yeah, yeah. And
1: what I'll speak for myself here you know, we are a landing place for new and experienced gamers. And we mean that. So if you are going to play Brass Birmingham and then follow that up with a light game of the City of Big Shoulders and maybe follow that up with a nightcap (laughs) of Dead Reckoning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Namali, just leave it in the car. That's all that I was saying. Yeah. There, uh, because I want to juxtapose that with the time before I played it. I played it with with your daughter, and I think subbing out the MIT grad who's also a game designer, developer, and does a lot in games, and subbing in a a ten year old kid who just wanted to have fun and try to beat us—two very different experiences with this game. So I just want to be honest about that. Hey. I don't own it yet. I have yeah. it on a wanted trade list. <laughs> I'm trying to get this thing.
0: You yeah, know what I no. mean? It, it's a and, good little game. And I think that comes down, which we've talked a lot in the past, of the, just the idea of the pro uh, the approach that you take with a game. Yep. Um, and we've talked about reviewers talking about sometimes that, where it's like, yes, if you approach this as a, a, a gamer that usually plays a 3.5-complexity three-hour game, there's not going to be enough here for you. It should not take more than twenty minutes, and and, and, and that's in that not intended it could for take that up audience. To
1: Forty-five minutes, if you're playing yeah. with someone like that, who's yeah. going to look at every single thing and do the math on every and know what cards are in the other players' hands. That's not how I want to play, Nimalia. Yeah, yeah. So that's all I was so, saying.
0: Yep. Just wanted to, to circle back and make sure that we are clear on that. Um, anything else before we wrap this up? No.
1: It, it is it is a, a great game. I, I think um, we've talked about where it fits in the
0: skills, uh, no. All right, so that is our game of the week, uh, published by La Boite de Joux and Lucky you Duck You love Games. saying that, Nate. You got it down. How oh, much yeah. did you practice? You're saying it in the <laughs> mirror before. Go ahead. Which company publishes? <laughs> La Boite de Joux. I, uh, I wrote it down phonetically. Uh, <laughs> So I, so I wouldn't sound like a blustering idiot. Hey, so, Doug, which company
1: also published "It's a Wonderful World" when mm, it first came out? What's Lucky the name Duck Games, game? I believe.
0: And and but who else? Oh, is that La Boite de Joux, yeah, too? Yeah, thanks, Doug. <laughs> All right, that is our game of the week, Namalia. The
1: school. Of gaming in the school of gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming. This week, we'll be discussing when should a game end. <laughs> Are you feeling full, or do you want more? We're not doing a third take, Doug. No. Let's go right into it. Here. <laughs> Let's go.
0: Um, so basically, I, this is kind of free flowing. I, I yeah. all I did was write down some questions that I. Uh, wanted to pose to you. All I did was write down potential answer. answers to your question. So <laughs> hopefully we got it in the right, right. order here. Let's see if this our like, bullet points is like up. a new game, Medium. I'll yell it out, <laughs> you answer. Um, I mean, I think, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, ideally, a game should end while you're still enjoying it, right? Does that need to be said? That's interesting. If it's gone past the the, yeah. the peak of enjoyment... It's gone too long, right? Typically. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how do you how do you know if a game is too long?
1: Well, I, I was just going to step back. Let, let me do the initial bullet point that I'll turn it over to you for okay. thought. For, you, you've approached this with much more thought than I have. <laughs> but if you've had this thought, conversation, or wondering, you are a gamer. This is <laughs> a very gamer topic, right? Yeah. Uh, people who play one to three games a year aren't... Thinking about this, this is, uh, but this is a thought that we talk about almost every time we play a game. But it did, is, did it does. Did, did well, it end right? Did it feel right? How how was? Yeah,
0: I mean, I think although people are not necessarily discussing it, if you're playing a game one to three times a year, it certainly does have the effect to ruin a game for somebody. If it overstays, it's welcome. Yeah. I think, you know, without, without, without a new gamer even realizing that that's what ruined it for him.
1: So you play a great game. The game's awesome. You get up, you do a hard clap as you're stepping away from the table, and you look at your watch, and you realize an hour and a half went by. What, tell me about that. Is, that. is that a problem, or is that okay?
0: No. I, to me, it, ultimately, it comes down to I actually rarely care about the length of a game. Um, if I'm enjoying it. Okay. Right. I mean, if the game is enjoyable, like Arnak is a great example that can stretch anywhere from an hour and a half up to two and a half hours, depending on how people are playing. I don't know the difference. Correct. The entire time I am engrossed and and riveted and at the edge of my seat playing that game. There are other games that I've played that are that like Mansions of Madness is another good example of where the story is going along. If people are, are role-playing and getting into it, we're having a good time, yeah, I might yeah. realize that I need to stretch my legs or get a drink or go to the bathroom, but it's like one of those things where it's like, I want to get back to the table as fast as possible yeah. because I'm having a good time. And other times you play games where it goes from 45 minutes to an hour, and those last 15 minutes are brutal Yeah, because it's not... Yeah, that last 30%. So like the idea that a a two-hour game is like that's just too long or a half-hour game is always great, Um, I I definitely think it's game-dependent. It's it's certainly player-dependent. So when should a game end, Doug? I mean, I think it it needs to end when you – almost like Seinfeld, right? The idea of you go out on top, you still want more of it, and it brings you back to the table.
1: You're talking about the last season of Seinfeld or each episode of Seinfeld? <laughs> no,
0: the last season. Okay. Wait, you know when they've got you know million dollar an episode per actor on the table to keep going? Yeah. And they say we're done. Yeah. And you, everybody, still wanted more. They were at the peak of their popularity, and if they came out with a new season of Seinfeld tomorrow, everybody would be watching it. And I think as long as you, I for people that are younger than 37 years old <laughs> Seinfeld was a
1: very popular the sitcom most popular. that was on NBC the national broadcasting channel did i get yeah, that right plus CTV yeah yeah thursday uh, nights if i recall
0: i guess here's a here's an a, a follow up question to that is it possible for a game to be too quick absolutely
1: absolutely i have played games where i thought because to here, the point that you wouldn't go back to them no to the point that I get a sense of regret. Here's here's what I'm having a difficult time divorcing in this question, is that we play a lot of games. Yeah. So I, I'm trying to put myself in somebody else's shoes, and I'm having a difficult time because the experience that I've had more than once over the last couple of years is we get done playing a game. That game is so much fun. It's like, oh, I know I'm not going to get back to that or might only get to play that two or three more times because we're moving on to the next title. And I've had that happen in games um, with with my game group, but not my family. Typically, if a game ends before I think it should, and it's a game I'm playing with my family, that's a great sign because we're going to play it three to four more times this month. The game's going to stay out. It's going to be in a space where somebody can get it and play it again. And I can think of a handful of games that that meet that mark and criteria the, the ones that we talk about all the time
0: yeah I, I, I think of there are, there are some games that I w- have played and and I think whether you're a new gamer or not just the idea of how did that experience leave me yeah right is kind of what it comes down to and I don't think that there there have been some games that maybe I wish I could have gotten my engine going more and then the game ended. Or something like that where it's like, ooh, I just felt like I was a turn away from having just, like, really a- an amazing turn or something like that. I have played a couple of those yep. games. But my immediate response is always, I want to get back in there yeah. and get close to doing it again. And it's like, even if it's never fully satisfied, the process of getting that close is just as enjoyable. However, if a game overstays its welcome, by three minutes, yeah, it can tank the entire experience for me. Wow. That's a, that's a tight margin. I mean, but I um, mean, you, you yeah. get my point. I, I mean, do. It, there's, I do. If there there's is, that
1: downtime, that level of disengagement, if, if I'm knocked out, if I'm eliminated, if there's, if, if there can there's be a lot of things, if that, there's
0: a moment that the disengagement happens, and it could happen ten minutes earlier when the, you know, where it gets to a point where it's like, I just feel like I'm doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. This is not progressing. I'm not engaged. It overstays its welcome, and it's it. Rarely is ever coming back, yeah, so and it's interesting for me, on one side, it's almost a for sure I want to play again. on the other side, it's I never want to play again
1: oh uh, that that and, is interesting. And where does bookkeeping and, and upkeep and from and clean up from round to round? Where
0: do those pieces fit in on on I, time? And- I think i I personally probably keep them separate. okay I think those are two separate issues for me. If a game has a lot of upkeep, it's creating the disengagement throughout the process, the length of the game is irrelevant at that point, okay um, assuming that's not part of it, you know the a, a huge setup at the beginning of the game and and stuff like that all all things being equal it's like if if the if I'm playing a 45 minute game that I felt should have ended at 30. I'm gonna have a really hard time getting that back to the table sure if I if I kind of tap out mentally I
1: really like knowing how long a game's going to last per player I think mm. when, when companies and publishers and designers and developers communicate that that tells me that there's a level of thought that's gone into either how the rounds break down or what each player brings to the table and that gives me a good um, Standard, a good benchmark to know of what to expect. So, if it says 25 minutes per player, and in a three-player game, if it took us, you know, two hours, well, what, what was that extra 15 minutes? Was it just the first time we played? Was there? So yeah. Did we play it wrong? Is there too much mid-maxing going on at the table? So, that's one thing that I, I appreciate when it comes to. Just setting that expectation, right? Am I going to an all-you-can-eat buffet, or am I going to a, a meal where the portions are smaller but the food's gonna be good?
0: Yeah, I, I think for me, like that idea of if it ends while I still want to do more, that's perfect for me, mm. and will always bring me back. Like even if there's a thing where it's like it's a half-hour game, ends in a half hour, and at the end of it, it's like, okay, I. It, it didn't overstay its welcome. It didn't uh, end too early. It was like almost perfect. Like in that ratio, yeah, is not as good as if it had ended five minutes earlier. And I was like, ooh, I just wanted to, want to dive back in, like, and while it's on top and on fire, um, even if it doesn't, ha- even if it, even if it means you didn't get your cool turn, yeah, repeatedly, I, I would, I would think so. Okay. Like, I feel like I'm always drawn back in there, even if it's the illusion of, of well, maybe I could get it next time. Yeah. Or I, I can't think of a game that I played where I felt, ooh, I was close, but you'll never get there, so why bother? Sure. I have always felt like, ooh, that was fun. Let's do it again. Like, I'm still, still in that enjoyment peak, and sometimes after you've finished the meal... Even though it was a great meal, it's like, well, I don't need to eat again. Yeah. I just ate. Yeah, you know, where it's like, if you give me half the steak, I'm like, I want the rest. Give me like, let's eat it some more. Um, so I think that's interesting. Yeah, and not to belabor the segment here,
1: and but a non-food analogy, and you know this, Doug. We've played enough games that have a finish line. I love when a game tells me where the end is. I yeah. love knowing if it's you know first one to 80 first one to 100 at the end of 10 rounds um that that is something that that I really enjoy where sometimes we've played games even recently Archeo society that 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 tension of the end is going to be in this last third of the deck that that will because what I'm pushing back on what you're talking about well I want I want to end when when it's on top I, because sometimes that that tension will bring such a crestfall to me of an oh but I really needed that turn I needed that one turn does it bring me back to the table yes yes, yes, <laughs> yes. It does. so does the designer know what they're doing absolutely they know what they're doing yeah uh, but that that's you know at the front end of the segment where I was talking about but I don't know if I'll be able to get back to that game again so that's more of a gamer problem. But, yeah. but when you talk about, I mean, people who are in the hobby are playing games one to three times, you
0: know, you know two to five times total. It, it
1: really does matter where the game ends.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it, when you get to a point where you're like, is this even going to stick around in the collection? Oh, like, Even yeah. though I may play it only once a year, might be a year before I get back to this, is it worth sticking around? And it's like, if it goes... If it goes just a sh- a hair past its expiration date, yep, it's not making the cut for you and I, you know. And and other gamers may be different, but it, it's an interesting concept. That and, and to your point, I think non gamers, new gamers, probably don't even know that this is a thing. And I yet, yeah, and I think it, it's more of one of those things like you don't, you felt it but you don't know that that's what it was. Like every game, people feel that, but they may not know that that's what it is. Yeah. Um, so let us know in the Discord server, uh, you know, what you guys think. When, when is the right time to end a game? Uh, should it leave you wanting more? Do you need to be fully satisfied? Let us know. Uh, that is our school of gaming. Let's move on to the high five for this week. If you're anything like us, you're constantly on the hunt for new games to try out. This week, Michael and I are going to be talking about games we would have loved as teenagers. Um, so I have two honorable mentions in this one. I tried to diversify the type of games that are on the list for me. Meaning uh, games you haven't uh, talked about in a while or all different types of games? Different types of games. and yeah. But one of the common threads on this, I don't know if it if you have this, but the idea of, of being a teenager and having uh, little or no job copious amounts of free time, buddies coming over on a regular basis, that sinking into a longer game, meteor games, and really diving into l- whether they're lifestyle games, campaign games, or things that I can sink my teeth into that I don't have the time group um, reliability to do some of those things now.
1: Interesting is we're is, gonna
0: have very different lists is where I fell into. Okay. So
1: I went more towards, I didn't pick anything with an app or with other technology that was not available in the late 1990s <laughs> because I wanted to yes, almost have that Back to the Future, Back to the Future 2 moment of I'm going back to my teenage self, and I'm giving my teenage self these five games, and then I'm leaving, and the other side of that because there's there's no app, there's also no watch it played in Rodney.
0: So mm. <laughs> I needed to have
1: very very yeah, but you got the time Very yeah, but approachable rule books, man. <laughs> I know my teenage self. I need to be able to read that and I'm moving on too fast. Yeah, I'm um, thinking
0: about what games I can play with yeah. my brother. Yeah, that's interesting. All summer interesting. break,
1: and then I also took cost as as a major factor because teenage self wasn't spending money <laughs> on, on on board games to the level that adult self is. So that that's interesting. Well, let's let's get going.
0: All right, what do you got for number five?
1: Well, well recency bias. I, it's the game that I played a bunch of this weekend. But number five for me is Tiger and Dragon from Archlight and Oink Games. The bite of this game and the fact that. Only, And I didn't talk about this at the front of the episode, but per round, only one person is going to score, and that's the person that plays their last domino face up. And that level of competitiveness, I would have loved it as an 8-year-old, I would have loved it as an 18-year-old, and I hope that I'm playing it with my grown grandchildren as an 80-year-old. Boy, wouldn't that be a good day and a good life. <laughs> um, but as, as a teenager, I was maniacally competitive, And so that's going to be a theme. Teenager. Well, no, no, no. no, no. Even as a gamer, um, that will be a theme that will come up with some of the games on my list. So that's number five for me is Tiger and Dragon. And let me just get the designer for that one because there's a few different types, of, and that is by Hashimoto
0: Atsushi. All right. Uh, My number five is also on the recency bias, and that is Disney Larkana. Oh, yeah mixing the idea of, so certainly magic has come out in my lifetime. When I was a teenager, it came out. The theme never did much for me. I didn't know what it was. Um, I don't know if I would have been as big of a fan of Disney as I am now after having children um, or things like that. However, the idea of an approachable collectible card game to a Guy that collected football, baseball, and basketball cards. Yeah, throughout the entirety of my youth, this is right up my alley. Yeah, and I can see sitting down and playing, and it's like, you know, I I've got a brother in law who's who's younger than me that that Pokemon was came out in his generation, you know, and that was a big thing for them to go and and get the decks and Catch the packs all. and stuff like that. So. I can see myself spending a lot of time and a lot of money hunting down packs and and playing that game and and even the the aspect of of deck building and and building a perfect deck to compete and things like that that I would have had mental capacity and time to do as a teenager would have been very different than than how it is now.
1: Interesting.
0: So that is is my number
1: 5. Disney Lorcana. My number four is directly tied to that. And Doug just mentioned, and it's Magic the Gathering. Hold Mm. on, caveat here Lord of the Rings Commander series. (laughs) So if I was to go on the Wayback Machine and go see Teenage Self, um, I could tell a, a long story, but I'll try to make it short. I played Magic as a teenager. Uh, but I had an older friend who was two years older, he, he was homeschooled, and you know, White Chocolate had, had the best Magic deck and knew how to play it, and he set it up for us and told us the rules, and we, we'd play at his house. You know? And if I went back to, to Chocolate and said, hey, Mike, White Chocolate, uh, this is Magic the Gathering, and here's the rules for Commander... Uh, with Lord of the Rings, and we'd say that's not possible. There's no way magic will ever let Lord of the Ring, and then show the cards because I, I read Tolkien, I liked it, I, I you know, and I could see myself getting into magic in a whole different way if there was a way to play it faster, if there was a way to play it at more than just two player, mm. do uh, you know, two versus two, and, and and all the different variants that have come out from it. Whereas at that time, in the late 1990s. No, no, no. There was one way to play it, and here's how you play it. Yeah, and it was very frowned upon to try to get creative. <laughs> um, so that's my number four is Magic: The Gathering. And the, and for some of our listeners who might be like, what is he rambling about? Um, within this year, there was a Lord of the Rings uh, set that came out where there are four different factions, and and each faction is is a, a commander that basically works as a general that. Um, you know, it's it's a variant to magic where if if you get twenty damage with the commander, it's it's a win, uh, or a win or a loss condition, I should say. So, just a great fast way to play uh, magic that I think would have kept me playing at places other than just my one friend who had it. So
0: interesting. All right, my number four is a a little bit of a departure here. This is um, a game that I feel like I haven't had the full ability to dive into it as much as I would like to, that there's a lot of facets to that game, or this game, and that's uh, Tapestry, uh, published in 2019 by Stonemeyer Games and and Jamie Stegmeyer. It's a, a game that we've talked about on this podcast. I don't remember what episode, but it's a game that there are so many different civilization factions and cards and things that you do not see on a single playthrough or a second playthrough. And I feel like having the time to explore and know that I'm going to play it once a week for the next, you know, six months. That sounds joyous. Would be something that I would be really into. 105, we talked. 6, six, six. <laughs> 106. 106. Uh, we talked about that in episode 106. But that was, you know, that's a, a thing where it's like, I can see that being a game that, that takes up an afternoon or or an hour and a half, two hours, and you're like, oh, I want to try this other civilization. I want to try this civilization. I want to try this strategy. S- strategy. There's so many different ways to Yeah, do. the different maps and buildings and things like that. So I think there's a lot of breadth there to to explore that I think I would have been able to as a as a teenager or certainly a late teenager. Yeah, you're you're
1: blowing my mind here. If you <laughs> hopped out the DeLorean and threw Lorcana and tapestry at me and went away, I'd be a very different person. <laughs> Those are great games. Those are great titles. Um, can I jump into number three? Go ahead. I didn't ahead. mean to interrupt no. you there. Number three for me is also a recommended game of the week, and that's from episode 19, and it's Sushi Go. Phil Walker Harding, um, just legendary. You know, passing of cards, round around scoring. This game would have had me. Uh, the um, And we talked about it at length in episode 19, but that sense of drafting and how quick it goes, and I, I just think the, the cute art, it, it had me the first time I saw it, the first time I played it. Uh, I love the little tin that it comes in. I know I'm in the minority <laughs> at that,
0: but um, that's my number three is Sushi Go. Interesting. Interesting. All right, my number three is... Uh... The only legacy game on my list, but I feel like there could be a lot that would fall into this category, uh, and that's Pandemic Legacy Season One. Not only is it an experience that I had later in life that is completely burned into my brain, but having that as a teenager and being able to, again, this is uh, you know a stand-in for a lot of legacy style games. It's like I don't have the time to to do that. Like this. As a teenager, I we would have got through this in two weeks, you know. Maybe maybe a good sleepover. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you start you start at three o'clock in the afternoon and you play until three in the morning, and you go through half the game. So we we've talked around this game
1: yeah. without doing any spoilers, and, and I know you've had just an amazing experience with it. Can yeah. you say a little bit more about the game? Because I don't think we're going to do a full deep dive. No. Into- so
0: in in uh, pandemic legacy you are playing uh, over essentially 12 12 games, a maximum of 24. So if you play a... a Pandemic's a cooperative game. If you play the first game and you lose, you get a second chance to try and beat it. If you don't beat it, then you're moving on. You're going on to the next month. So a minimum of 12 games to complete the, the campaign, a maximum of 20 if you lost everyone. Of course, I'm assuming if you're losing some, then you're getting some some power boosts and things that are going to make the next round a little bit easier for you and vice versa. If you're steamrolling through it, things might get harder. However, there are various story elements and things that are happening throughout those campaign games that are changing the rules from base pandemic. So your very first game is going to feel very much like pandemic, uh, the regular base game of pandemic. However, depending on how the game ends And that may be, uh, this is going to apply through the entire campaign. You know, did you win? How close, how many of stuff is left on the board who cured the last thing or, you know, different elements of what happened in that game are then going to trigger certain either story events, abilities, or things that may happen in the game going forward. So the rules are going to change a little bit. Every time you play different parts of the board are going to change, um,
1: and the only thing you need is a consistent game group, and you'll get through that thing, right? There's yeah. basically twelve games, and at the end, you still have a playable version, or it goes right not, into the uh, recycle it, bin.
0: Pretty much right in the recycle yeah. bin. That one does not. I don't. I think technically you could keep playing sure, it, but it's sure. not. Not as. Uh, Big of an issue as it is now, where people are like, Oh, at the end of the game, you'll have a thing. Yeah. And this was very much about the the story and the experience. So,
1: oh, that's awesome. That is
0: my number three, Pandemic Legacy Season One, but in a lot of ways, a stand in for a lot of campaign and, and legacy games.
1: Yeah, that's great. I really struggled with my top two because as a teenager, I played a lot of team-based games, a lot of team-based card games. I've talked at length about Euchre and Sheep's Head and some of those other games. My list doesn't really have one. but the And this number two is kind of a fill-in for a lot of games, and it is anything designed by Emerson Matsuchi. So <laughs> in episode... 20, we talked about Century Spice Road, and I would actually take Teenage Self Century Gollum Edition. I just think the artwork is just a little bit cooler, more teenager-friendly. In episode 95, we talked about her story. There is something about the flow, the pace, the puzzle of Emerson Matsuchi's games that draws me in that I think will be universal to me as a gamer. Hmm. I don't think that will... Go away or age out. I think if I would have been 13, 15, 17, 18, 19 and played Century Golem Edition, that would have been the beginning of me entering the hobby. Yeah. Um, and so that, that, but not just that game, his other games just have a, a rhythm and a cadence. Uh, it is as close to I don't it is such a bad but it's as close to an athletic contest just with the the mental back and forth and what am I doing and how am I balancing everything. I feel as engaged as if I am when I'm coaching on the sideline with a lot of his games. So That's my number two. Um, Foundations of Rome, Reef, anything in the Century Gollum line, Century or Gollum line, any of those three. Well, and all of Um, those
0: would have blown up your brain of the idea of a game like that even existing, right? Are (laughs) you kidding me? You know,
1: at that time, I had played Catan. And I, mm, yeah, no, I mean, we're talking really Scrabble, Trivia Pursuit, and a ton of Monopoly, right? A ton. And and a handful of other, yeah, it would have just, yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) All right. My number two is, uh, scratches a couple of different itches, and that is Descent Journeys in the Dark, the second edition. Uh, this originally came out in 2012 by Fantasy Flight Games. Um, and the reason that this is on my list... Second time it's made your list, I believe, in the history. Uh, could be. Um, is out of the box, as originally intended, is a one versus many game. And I am not still am not an RPG player, but this is the closest I have felt to having what I assume is that type of experience in a board game setting. And I think as a teenager, the idea of, okay, I'm going to be the dungeon master, I'm going to be the big villain, you guys are trying to knock me off, and, and, and building all of the different maps that you need to advance through the campaign and the story, I think would have just been a blast. And yeah. that that through uh, you know a group of friends that 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 we we play a whole campaign through and it's like no now I'm going to be the bad guy and you'd rotate that around to the, to the guys in the group type of thing. I can see that having a lot of staying power. Then when you add that they added like a fully co-op version later that you could play, and just the idea of leveling up your characters and going and 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 buying new equipment and yeah. new weaponry and stuff and now the monsters are getting harder but we got better stuff and we're rolling more dice and that type of we're going to set up on the living room floor and play this for a couple hours i could see that uh, and the dog has to stay outside you can't yeah. bring the dog back no. in
1: cuz we haven't finished
0: yet yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I and see, there's no I see, I see you in the living room yeah and there's there is no camera phones to take a picture of the current game uh, no, state no 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 we, we play this to its completion um so i can see that being a big hit as a teenager descent journeys in the dark second edition that's awesome for me
1: my number 1 we talked about in episode 126 and that's F- fire tower uh 2019 the there was a lot of things that i thought about putting in this slot but if i had to be true to myself and authentic fire table on the fire. table, fire tower, there you go. fire tower on the table as a teenager would have just drawn me in. I would have said, What is that? And then if I would have found out, no, you are playing as the fire and you're trying to burn down the other people's <laughs> towers. Okay, what are the rest of the rules? Well, that's really it. On your turn, you're gonna pull this piece of fire out and set it down. And then you you can play a card out of your hand if you want. <laughs> I it would have had me. And yeah. It's fast, it's fun, and it, there is a furiousness to it that can be there. Not with every game group, but boy, I, I have played it with my own teenager and watched the fun ensue. Yeah. Uh, so to me, that that would be my number one game to take back to teenage self and say, here, play it. The other thing, there, and I talked about this without really talking about it with Emerson Matsuchi, but there are some unique mechanics in that game that yeah. I think show folks look, here's an interesting thing that can happen in a board game. Uh, You're playing as the fire, and you're trying to manipulate the wind. Those are not um, elements that you typically think that you're going to do when you sit down and play a board game. So that's
0: my number one Fire
1: Tower, and and Uh, the production is beautiful.
0: Yeah, awesome. All right, my number one is uh, kind of encompasses a lot of what I've talked about with the last four. This is almost, when I was making this list, this was kind of the culmination of wait, I think this has every part of what I've already talked about, and that's Marvel Champions, the card game. Uh, This came out in 2019 by Fantasy Flight Games, and this is not a collectible card game. It is a living card game in which new packs, new heroes, new scenarios are coming out on a regular basis. That are standardized, Mm -hmm. correct? They are standardized, but you can deck build with your character, so you're... You have your basic, say, Black Panther cards, but then you can add, do you want them to have leadership? Do you want oh, them to have so awesome. aggression or some of the other different cards? And then as you keep getting more and more of those secondary cards, you can filter them out and make your own deck. And then you're having campaigns and scenarios that have come out, whether they're Guardians of the Galaxy, X-Men, um, Red Skull, there's a campaign. New villains are coming out. So you have that element of deck building, cooperative play, and a stuff coming out on a regular basis, and the idea of, like, well, I'm going to mix Iron Man with, with leadership, which is normally a Captain America thing, and see how that works, and mix in these cards, and will this make them super powerful, and what about these awesome combos? It's like the same thing that you're doing in a, a collectible card game but in a controlled setting yeah. of, of no rares and things like that. That's and, a great choice. And it's like I could just see getting excited every time a new set was coming out and, and being at the game store that day to get it, and now we're spending the weekend playing, playing this new guide, playing this new campaign and just like oh can you imagine this card is so powerful can you imagine if i put it in the deck what, and if i can combo these together like getting so excited about that i could just see it happening and and i wish that was was a game that was around then uh instead of all of the cheap mass market marvel and x-men games that oh, came they were out that bad. i can't even imagine Ooh. Yeah. So that's my number one, Marvel Champions. Do you have any honorable mentions? I have like seven. Th- okay. th-
1: this could have been a list of 10 easily. I don't know if it makes sense to rattle them all off. Do you have honorable mentions? I've got two. One okay. of them
0: uh, was Mansions of Madness, the second edition, which I I didn't put on because I'm not sure, as much as I love the idea of it, I'm not sure if you could have gotten me to play a Lovecraft game Yeah, at the time as yeah. a teenager like that. And then certainly it doesn't meet your... You're no technology rule. for that. You need an, app for, you that. Need an app yeah. for that. And the other one I have is Dice Throne. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that I would have gravitated towards Marvel Champions and Lorcana and things like that, maybe would have done the same type of thing that Dice Throne would have. Interesting.
1: Yeah, I— I'll just list a few of my honorable mentions. One was Ticket to Ride, because it mm. came out in 2004. And if I would have flashed back to 1999 and said, in five years, this game will come out, and this is going to be huge. And in five years after that, it's going to be in targets in perpetuity. And so just check it out. Um, because I can still remember the first time as an adult, a young mm. adult, but an adult nonetheless, where I saw the little trains with the rummy mechanic and I wasn't actually cooperating with anyone. I'm competing against people. This is going to be a fun little game. And it's not a race to 10 like a TAM, but what is this? And so, Ticket to Ride mm. was the big one on that honorable mention, and then Sheriff of Nottingham is another mm. one because that one. comes about, you know, approximately ten years after that. So I was almost thinking, like, in ten-year increments, of this is a game, and then this is a game. Yeah. So go to college, young man, and,
0: and do well, so that you can have some of these games with your disposable income as you get older. Well, um, that that would be a great one too, because like when we were in college, the like Texas Hold'em was becoming yep.
1: oh it was huge a, a big a, a World thing. Series
0: of Poker the movie Rounders Matt Damon and it's a, like you a, could Ed just Morton, yeah. you could put Sheriff of Nottingham yeah, right, right in, in there. there yeah
1: and then there are a few more that we've talked about a lot but I don't know if it makes sense to keep going or just yeah. wrap it
0: all right so those are uh, a handful 10, 10 or so games and no crossover so uh, that we th- wish we would have had maybe as, as teenagers love to hear what you guys think. If there was any standouts that you're like, Oh man, I, my game group or, you know, me and my cousins would have devoured this when we were, <laughs> when we were younger. I'd love to hear about that. Um, a reminder to subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't already, that helps us quite a bit. Follow us on X, uh, at GameSchooler and join the discord gameschooler.com slash discord. Um, if you're so inclined next week, we're going to be talking about Sushi Go spin some for dim sum as a game that we found out about in the discord. Speaking of Um, how much value does a recommendation or a review carry Uh, next week? We'll be talking about that and a list of games that we just can't get rid of. So um, for me, I'm thinking more along the lines of sentimentality or, not, n- nobody's going to accept this in a trade. Yes, no, not, <laughs> not the ones like people won't even pay to take this game off this my This is a brick. <laughs> no, games that uh, even though we may not play them anymore, uh, they have either some sentimental value or some reason, some experience that we had that we just can't bring ourselves to, to put it on the trade shelf even if we don't play it as much as we used to. So that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much for spending the last hour or so with us. We truly appreciate it.
1: Now get out there and keep gaming.